You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Schlemiel, Schlemazel, Jeff McLarge Incorporated. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge Rolls <laughs> right off the top. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And that's me. I'm going to put my little glove on the passing bottle in the Shots Beer Factory and uh, call it a day very soon. I'm going to bound into the room and say, hello, um, <laughs> at the least opportune moment. Yes. What's going on? Uh, not much, man. Yeah, you know, things are pretty much, I don't know, normal, as I'm normal busy. as they get here. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, what, what's going on with you? I'm busy. It's September. It's, yes. Uh, it's, it's hot season. Right around now, in real time, now, and right around now in- Funk Soul time, Brother. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, your friend and mine, Roger Waters, has been uh, yes. releasing track by track uh, updated versions of the Pink Floyd classic Dark Side of the Moon album. Yes. And they're very different, as they should be. He, this is supposed to be an updated version of the Dark Side of the Moon album. Yes. And it's being met with, well, I don't, you you have the internet, you've had it for a while. It's being met with some have. really, really, really bad press. I was watching reviews on YouTube of people uh, reviewing, yeah. like, time and yeah. money and just not enjoying them. That's what I mean when I say press. When I say yeah. press, I mean YouTube comment section. It's like the New York Times, uh, you know, music right. section, if there even is one. No, you know? it's the Moss Eisley Spaceport of the music section. <laughs> Here's the thing. I didn't go and look for anybody talking about these songs until I'd listened to them. Like you said, hey, did you check out Money? Roger Waters released it. Yeah. And I said, no, I haven't checked it out yet. It was like the same day or the day after it came out. Right. And then I listened to it. And the first time through, I'm like, huh, it's interesting. Second time through, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I kind of like it. It's, the, it's clearly the most Roger Waters thing that Roger Waters has ever Roger Watersed. Yeah, but I didn't care. Like I could sort of see the, I could see kind of what he was going for project wise. Now, the whole record either com- comes out this week. It's it's we're in mid October, so it's a it's right. a mid it's an October release. But I don't know if it's fully out yet. Right. Um. But I I'm gonna get it. Well, I have streaming services, so I can listen to it whatever I want, and I'll take a listen, and I'll tell you everything that he's re-recorded. Last year, he put out a re-recording of Comfortably Numb that was yes. all done in a minor key, and it's very dreary. And that one, when I first listened to it, I was like, oh. But then, <laughs> it, I don't know, something about it made me want to listen to it again, and I actually do enjoy that version. Yep. And the same thing went with Money and with Time. Those are the other two yeah. that I've heard so far. Where 
It's so different. It's not even the same song. It's a no. it's a song with the similar lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I especially liked Money because it has this weird jammed in kind of spoken word segment in the middle. As I'm listening to it, you can hear like Roger Waters is trying so hard to get all of the ideas out that he has in this yeah. like three minute segment in the middle of a song that everybody else listening to it is going like, what the hell is this? This doesn't sound anything like the song Money that I hear every hour on rock and roll radio. Yeah, everybody else that listens to it is thinking to themselves, maybe sticking a guitar solo in here wasn't the worst idea you had. Right, right, right. Like you said, it's the most Roger Waters things that ever watered a Roger. <laughs> I've always been a big Roger Waters fan. Um, whenever Pink Floyd had their you know, split-up rivalry, I was Team Roger. And you know, I've always had a lot of admiration for the man musically and lyrically, etc., etc. Except... In the last several years, he's just gotten, like, grumpier and grumpier. <laughs> yes, he has. And it's like, dude, there's other things to do. And I know everything that he's talking about is, you know, seems very important to him, and it is very important, but, man, you can do other things, you know? Yes. But, like, whenever you see Roger Waters in interviews, it, all he's doing is, like, arguing with people. Yeah, I, I mean, because he, he leaned hard into the politics side of his t personality. Yeah. And now that he's like approximately 472 years old. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's near 80. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's thereabouts, yeah. He's he's run out of, you know, any sort of semblance of give a shit he might have had up to this point. <laughs> so he's like, I he'll like cancel concerts or have cons concerts yeah. canceled. And he's like, he just comes out on stage and flips off the audience like, whatever, you go wild, Raj. Yeah. I also am someone who appreciates him as a solo artist. I've listened to him since The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking was released, all the way up through Is This the Life That We Really Want? And I like everything that he's done. And hearing him do the redo of Dark Side of the Mood makes me think that he's like re-examining something he did right as he became, or as Pink Floyd became a worldwide super popular act. Uh -huh. And he's, he's looking at re-examining again as a much older person. And distilling it down to the, like, the original ideas he might have had then, mm -hmm. framed through the prism of history to where he is now. And for that alone, I think it's an interesting concept for a record, even if yeah. some of the songs aren't as memorable. Yeah, and I think it's going to be an album that you're going to listen to in a different mood that you would listen to the original in. Grumpy. That's the mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grumpy. I need something to listen to. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. <laughs> All right. The devil made some pudding and has it in a bucket. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, Roger, thanks. Men are playing cards and yelling slurs at ugly women. I'm like, what? what that? Those aren't even lyrics, Roger. Are those words? Is that a sentence? <laughs> Freeform jazz. I know, it's like, I don't, yeah, it's like his kids are going to put him in a home soon. Okay, Dad, come on. <laughs> you can go sing, see Emily play with all the other old people. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get on to the show proper. But all before right. we get on to the show proper, young Jeff, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Oh, boy. Hey, Bill. All right. So uh, most nation flags, all the ones I could think of, are rectangular in shape, roughly three to four ratio. 
Right. All the state flags in the United States of America are also rectangular, three to four ratio, roughly. Okay. Except for one. There's one state flag that is not rectangular in shape. Which state is saying, f*** the police and making their own flag? Uh, at the end of the show, I will tell you. You've got a 2% chance of guessing correctly. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question. All right. So this is the week beginning October the 16th, and I think it's your turn to start. It is indeed. Uh, we're going to start off this week with a celebrity birthday. So mm-hmm. October 16th, 1947, American director and film writer David Zucker is born. He's born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you don't recognize the name, he's one of the... I know you do, but our <laughs> audience may be like, who? Yep. Uh, David Zucker is one of the trio, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, who wrote and directed Airplane... The Naked Gun, uh, Police Squad TV series, and Top Secret. Probably the best combined comedy smish-smash of movies and TV shows of the 1980s. Yeah, those are the movies that are like the parody movies. In more recent movie history, you got stuff like Scary Movie, Not Another Teen Movie, Disaster Movie, where they just kind of like make fun of stuff with nah i mean there's a cohesive story but right. not much it's more there just for like the the visual jokes and it is an onslaught of jokes it's there's a there's so much going on sentence by sentence it requires multiple viewings just to make sense of what it is that you're seeing yep uh we sat there one time now i know the suckers didn't have anything to do with airplane too but we right. sat there one time with like one of those yeah clickers yep. Counting the amount of jokes in Airplane, Airplane 2, and Top Secret. And you would think with a monumental task like that, that I would have written down the numbers for posterity. But I had no idea I would be doing a podcast whenever I did that. (laughs) So I never wrote them down. But I do remember that Top Secret had more jokes than both of the other two. Yeah, Top Secret is is full of jokes. There's a ton of of visual ones in there, too. Yeah, I, I, well, we counted visual and audio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Top Secret is just ridiculous. I'm going to have to watch that one again. It's been a long time. I haven't watched that one in a couple of years, and I, I'm overdue for, for that one for sure. Yeah. If that was a movie not, that introduced Val Kilmer to the world. I was about to say, if that's not Val Kilmer's first movie, is one of his first movies. Yeah. Nope. It was, that was the number one. He was introduced in that film. How silly can you get? <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to October the 17th, 1989. One of our favorite bands, Kiss, releases arguably their worst album, Hot in the Shade. (laughs) And and when you've got music from The Elder in your catalog, having an album that's worse (laughs) than that, Hot in the Shade, is really saying something. What what were the... I don't even remember Hot in the Shade coming out. So that's... I was already beyond Kiss at this point, so... What, what were this? Were there any singles for this record? What were they? <laughs> so uh, there's two singles off this album. One is Forever. You might remember that one because it's this is we're still in the hair metal power ballad era. Oh, okay. Yeah. Music and the song Forever, which is the one that has like the most hits on the Spotify over here, 61 yep. million. That song was actually co-written by Michael Bolton, and boy, does it sound like it. <laughs> well. Uh, maybe Paul Stanley was writing it for Michael Bolton like he wrote, you know, Hard Luck Woman for Rod Stewart initially. I don't know what the and story is. And then Michael Bolton was, was like, we could make this song even 
more wimpy. Let me show All you how. Yeah, I saw Kiss in 1987 on the Crazy Nights tour, which is probably like their third worst album. Yep. And they were so bad. My friends and I, who had waited our life our lives to see Kiss at that point, we all looked at each other like, "I'm never going to come see Kiss again. No way." <laughs> it was so bad, right? But they came back around 1989, the Haunt in the Shade tour. My brother and I went. And that concert, even though this album sucks, that concert was amazing. They had a great yeah. stage show, a great set list. It was it was a good show. <laughs> but the funny thing was, like, whenever they did Forever, Paul Stanley was going through his people kind of speech and all that. <laughs> and you got to remember, this is 1989. Right. So, like, Millie Vanilli was the biggest thing on the charts at the time. And right. so we're New Kids on the Block right around the same time. I think Color Me Bad was in that, you know, uh, yep. time frame as well. Yes. See, and all yeah, these yeah. like all these boy bands, and Paul Stanley was like bitching up a storm that all these people that don't write their own music are, you know, making money singing these schlock songs. And he goes, well, we can write a good song too, you know, and then they did Forever. <laughs> and I went to the bathroom. Yeah. Uh-huh. That will never let it be said that Kiss didn't you know, chase whatever the trend was to try and sell singles. Oh yeah, no, they definitely did for sure. You know, and and you know, more power to them. Like market research is ninety nine percent of success in creative business. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna work and make that part of your you know income stream and stuff, you have to know what's out there and being sold. Otherwise, you're working in a vacuum, and artists who work in a vacuum don't get don't get money. Another single from this album was a song called Hide Your Heart. And Hide Your Heart was written for them. They didn't write it. There was a, yep. you know. And what was funny was Ace Fraley, former guitar player for Kiss, yep. he had a solo album come out right around the same time, like within a month of Hot in the Shade. I saw an album called Trouble Walking. Mm-hmm. And because this song was not written by Kiss, he had access to it because he's in the same record company. Right. So he recorded a, his version of Hide Your Heart and put it on his album. And Paul Stanley calls him up. He's like, you can't put that song on the album. He's like, the f*** I can't. And he did. <laughs> They're like a dysfunctional family. I love Oh, for I sure, yeah. The stories about yeah. yeah I guess. So, yeah, oh, this so album funny. was just under an hour long. I'm reading down this the song list. It's like, all right, I know Hide Your Heart and I know Forever. I couldn't hum to you any of the songs in this album. That's how infrequently I've listened to it. I've never <laughs> owned I've never owned it. I never right. wanted to own it. It's pretty bad. There is one song where they finally let Eric Carr sing. There's a right. song in here called Little Caesar. Little Caesar yeah. I think he does vocals on that one. And this is the end. This is the end of Kiss. This was the last album that they did with Eric Carr before he got sick and then ultimately passed away. Mm-hmm. They have one more album after this called Revenge, which is phenomenal. I love that album. Right. But this album's just terrible. Uh, and then after Revenge came out, they were like, you know, if we put the makeup back on and get those <laughs> other two bozos back in the band... We could make some money. And boy, did they make money. And that's, yeah. we'll just go play the old songs. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all we need to do. Yeah. Detroit Rock City. Be, we will not be playing forever, ever again. I'll, <laughs> I'll thank you to know. Yep. All right, let's go on to the 18th. All right, October 18th, 1954. 
Texas Instruments, a company that I know because my aunt worked there, releases the very first transistor radio, which technologically is really interesting. So, oh yeah, previous to transistor radios, a radio was had vacuum tubes in it, like a you know. If you're a guitar player, you're like, I need to find a tube amp from the 1960s because the sound is more smelly or floor warm. glid or something. It's got, a, it's got a warm sound to it, Jeff. It's, it's warm because the tubes heat up, right? <laughs> but a transistor radio used transistors instead of vacuum tubes to manage the amplification of the inbound sound that came and capture, was captured by the antenna. And right. it allowed a radio not only to be uh, portable, it went from the size of like... A microwave oven, maybe yeah. a little bit smaller, to the size of a wallet. Yeah, that ultimately they got carry that small. A I think, around. Yeah, I don't think transistor radios were that small when they first came out. Like I remember my mom having like an old transistor radio that was probably about the size of a box of Cheez Its for reference. Now nah, I got it. I got a picture of it. Okay. Okay. And then. Yeah, I think like in the 70s, oh my God, do you remember this? They, because getting back to KISS for like a split second, because KISS would put their name and picture on anything, you Uh could order the KISS radio off of like a television spot, (laughs) right? And it was a transistor radio that was, like you just said, you know, about the size of a wallet. It's a transistor radio with a picture of KISS on it. And did I want it? Oh, yeah, goddamn right I want it. Ma! Ma, can I get the KISS radio? And then my my brother, I think, was the one that had to explain to me that it's not going to play KISS. It's going to play re- just regular radio stations. Just right. take the old radio in the corner and write Kiss on it. It's basically the same thing. No, right. it's not. So in, in the 50, Kiss radio. So in 54, the radio that, that TI released is called the Regency TR1. And yep. it was an AM only radio, So which makes sense because AM was the predominant format for radio in the 1950s. So right. it's relatively Did FM simple. even exist at that point? FM, yes. FM did exist, but it wasn't the predominant it's okay. the problem was that, that it's the consumer side hadn't caught up to stereo radio. Okay. You could broadcast in it, but there was nothing to listen to it on. Okay. Continue. And uh, it was a really s- sort of simple device. If you look at how it works, it's going to yeah. dial to tune in whatever the local stations are and a volume knob that also turns off the radio. There's not much else to it. It's got a little antenna. Sometimes the, I think the yeah. first antenna was built into the case, but they changed that a little bit later so that you got better, a little bit better reception. But what it did was it made it really easy to carry around music or news with you, which was much more complicated before the transistor made it possible. You could also use it with batteries because transistors use so much less electricity than vacuum, vacuum tubes. tubes yeah, did. yeah. Yeah, I remember they took like nine volt batteries. That was like the industry standard at the time. Right. God, I can't remember the last time I bought a nine volt battery. I can. You can. <laughs> yeah, I put them in my smoke detectors every year. Oh no, not me. I get the ones that you like you throw away every ten years. It's cheaper. Oh, no, better than I, that. Mine came with the house, so I, uh, I put a nine volt uh, battery in them. Do you lick them? I don't. When was the last time you licked a 9-volt battery? I, you know what? Uh, now that I have a defibrillator in my chest, I'm probably not going to do that. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who gets electrocuted for from a 9-volt battery. Oh, my God. Accidentally. I, would, I would write your obituary for you. It would be my honor. Yeah. Like, dumbass co-host of Twibbly <laughs> Podcast killed himself <laughs> with a battery on a dare. Oh, you just sent me the picture. That was That's the one from 1954? Yep. 
Five by oh, three no by one and a half by one and a quarter. Yeah, oh, small. that is that is pretty tiny. Oh, okay. Yep. You know, I bet you know I have a friend that's like afraid of any new technology. That's I think I told you about this like a couple of weeks ago, where he's calling me yeah. up asking me how to burn CDs. <laughs> yeah, I bet you he has a, a transistor radio. Uh, I you know there's there's still um, AM radio still a thing, although it's probably not long for the world. At least not in the United States. There's some talk of reusing the spectrum for the next generation of cell phone technology, and if that's the case, it'll disappear. It'll be converted to like a digital FM signal, and then it'll pretend to be AM. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'm driving around and I'll tune in an AM radio station on my car just to see if there's anything like out there, and there is. Yep. And I, I can't help but think that how are these people getting paid? Yeah. Who's listening to it besides some schmuck? Like me, just turning it on to see if it's there. I, I listen sometimes just to see if the ads are from this year, this <laughs> era, you know? So it's like you're listening to, like, you know, ABC Radio News and the Come news story is- Come on down is, and buy a DeSoto. <laughs> right, exactly, yes. Have you seen the new Ford Edsel? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? So I don't know who advertises on AM radio either. It seems to be furniture stores and used car lots, at least around here in New Hampshire. So, camel cigarettes. Camel cigarettes. <laughs> AM radio in the last 30 years has sort of become the domain of more fringy programming. So while there are news stations like ABC, NBC, CBS that still broadcast on AM radio, there's a bunch of stations that carry like the Coast to Coast radio station with George Norrie, which is all UFOs and snake monsters and other things. And then and there's going to the, be like the the Hanks hate Orama in the local area, yeah. Right. And then there's all the syndicated like super far right crazy town syndicated talk shows that are on there on different stations too. That seems to be the domain where all of that stuff lives. All right. Uh let's get on to the 19th. October the 19th, 1911. Uh Robert Grant Fowler, looks like his name is Fowler, uh departs Los Angeles on the first airplane across the United States from west to east. Now, he left <laughs> wow. October 19, 1911, and he arrived in Jacksonville, Florida, in February of the following year. So I'm oh, guessing so it was it was Spirit Airlines, yeah. I was going to say, he, was a little, he did a little faster than Southwest. <laughs> Must have been tough making that little tiny bag of peanuts last. Yeah, exactly. Now, let's see, let's count on my hands. October, November, December, January, February. Four... Four months, dude. That's a I could you could drive cross country faster than the airplane. Yes. Unless I mean, you're on Spirit Airlines, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I mean, consider there's there's absolutely zero infrastructure in nineteen eleven for airplanes. So Right. Much like the Paris to uh, New York to Paris road race where people had to go ask for benzene instead of gasoline for their cars from yeah, farmers. Yeah. You know? I'm sure he flew around. He's like, I gotta land this thing somewhere. <laughs> well, that guy, that guy's yard looks pretty big, <laughs> you know. And then see if you can see if you can get help to move you it. Got any kerosene? Fuel it. Right? Yeah, that's what they were using for fuel at the time. I think yeah, a, a, a derivative there of kerosene. So who knows? Like it. That's a. It's a feat in and of itself. Knowing that he was able to get all the way across the country to show it could happen, but oh man, that must have been. It must have been some white knuckle days where he's like, oh, man, I've only got, you know, four minutes of, of fuel left in this thing, and it's all <laughs> trees. 
You know, it's not like he was at 30,000 feet and could glide for five miles. He was probably, I don't know, (laughs) less than a thousand feet in the air. And uh, he had to take out of LAX, which didn't exist at the time, but somehow still managed to be a huge pain in the ass. (laughs) I'm sure the TSA was quick, though. What are you doing here? I'm here to take off in the plane I built. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the 20th. Uh, We've got another celebrity birthday on October 20th. In 1882, the actor who would go on to typify horror movies, at least for me in the 1930s, Bela Lugosi is born. He's dead. He's dead. He's <laughs> dead. He's dead. Yes, which is the uh, common joke that we make now whenever his name comes up. He had a really long career, both in theater before before he ended up in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And Hollywood, where after Dracula and his refusal to play Frankenstein, because he wouldn't play a character that had no lines, his career... Had a long and slow decline, whereas, like Boris Karloff, was able to make more higher quality films for longer with bigger budgets because he took more risks. But on my write up over here, it said Bela Lugosi, and then in parentheses, it said Dracula and Plan 9 from Out of Space. Like, those are some bookends, and those bookends are really far apart because they are. Bela Lugosi did do a lot of stuff, you know, in between. Yep. <laughs> He did. He did a whole bunch of stuff. And, and I mean, everything from bigger budget films to some like moderate budget stuff. He was in the uh, Val Luton movie with Boris Karloff called The Body Snatcher. And uh-huh. he was in The Black Cat with Peter Lorre and Boris Karloff as well. And he was in a, he was in some stuff. And then at the end of his life, his, he ended up with Edward D. Wood Jr., where he made he shot scenes that became the bookended pieces of Glenn or Glenda. Right. Where he plays God saying, like, pull the strings, pull yeah. the strings. And then he was in a really good of, of the his run of films. He was in Bride of the Monster, which was a surprisingly good cheap horror movie. Yeah. And then he they shot, like, four minutes of footage of him and he died. And that got incorporated into Plan 9 from Outer Space. And he really kind of set a very high bar and standard for what the Dracula character should be and look like, too. Oh, yeah. Define it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And he had that awesome accent, too, because he was from Hungary. He was indeed. And uh, let's just throw this out there. His name, uh, while Lugosi wasn't his actual last name, Bella is his real first name, which yep. is awesome. That's a great <laughs> name. <laughs> it is a, it's a good name for sure. Yeah. His, his real, his, the real name is Bella Blasco. Blasco. Would yeah, you, Lugosi's a better name. Do, you, do yeah. you happen to have a favorite like Lugosi movie? Oh, you're talking to me. I, Dracula. I know. I know Dracula. Dracula and Plan 9 from Outer Space. I, I may as well have written the article where we're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're right. reading from. One you might dig if you uh, if you if you go out looking for it is the is the Bat, which was a oh a Drac- I have a Dracula it. knockoff that he was in. It was also a crime movie, but it's he's really good I, in it. I have one of those enormous like every year for a, a number of years somebody would buy me these like fifty DVDs, yeah, uh, fifty horror movies, and it's all yep. public domain stuff. And the the Black Cat from 1934 yep. and the Bat that you just talked about. I don't yep. know what year that one's from. That's on a few of them. So I have access to it. I just haven't seen them. It's slow, but it's good. Yeah. Well, so is Dracula. Dracula's slow, but good. Yeah, but this is like... Really slow. Even more slow. <laughs> <laughs> it's slow. It's like Roger Waters reading to you from the phone book. Oh. Hey, Abramson. It's uh. It's like something we'll be talking about later. Yes. All right. Uh, So October the 21st, 1986, 
the video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System Pro Wrestling uh, ah. comes out. And that was back in the days of video games where you could just call a game Pro Wrestling and that was the end of it. Right. What's this game about? No licensing. Pro Wrestling. And you know what? It was the best wrestling game for a very, very long time. Until the 16-bit systems came out, that was still one of the best wrestling games. Cause yes. It was fun. It, was, it had a good engine to it. It was good. I remember it because it didn't look like little sort of sprite characters, super cutesy sprite characters. They were in regular proportion. And there was yep. enough of a moveset that it had just enough variety to keep you constantly going back to try and like land a particular suplex or get a guy if you throw, throw him off the ropes. And it had tremendous replayability, whereas a lot of the wrestling games that came after, including some that are as recent as the PlayStation 2, do not. I remember there was another wrestling video game that came out uh, for the first Nintendo called Muscle. Yep. And... It was like initialized, like M dot U dot, and it was called Muscle. And I, I just, I just thought it was a wrestling video game, so I bought it. It was, I don't even know what I did with it. I might have like just raged through it away. It was so bad. It yep. was so so bad. But that Nintendo one, my friend Rob and I used to play it just over and over and over again. And um, I don't remember all of the wrestlers on it. I remember Starman. Starman was like a masked wrestler with a big star in his face. Not like Paul Stanley. It was more centered. Yes. And then there was a Japanese wrestler called Fighter Hayabushu. His finishing move was an insiguri. And all you had to do was position yourself diagonally from your opponent and just hit the button and it would kick off the insiguri move. Insiguri is just a fancy way of saying kick in the back of the head yes and i would always pick him because that finishing move was the easiest one to pull off and my brother or my friend rob or whoever i was playing against they would least expect it just bang kick in the back of the head bang <laughs> kick in the back of the head that was my favorite game but it was like it got to a point where they wouldn't let me pick him because it was just too easy to fire off that move right right i had i don't know if it was the same game I had the Sega Master System Pro Wrestling. I'm saying Pro Wrestling with with uh, air quotes because yep. that was what it was called. And some of the music is very similar, but I don't. It's not the same game. And that no. one has really short, squishy, like pixely characters who are not in proportion. Right. That's that's how Muscle was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they actually have the new WWE game. And I haven't played a WWE game in a very long time. There was a couple of them that were just garbage. And it almost killed the franchise. But I've heard that the new ones are better. I don't mm -hmm. know. I got I got gift cards. Maybe I'll pick one up. Ah, who knows? Yep. All right. You need a good independent up. one that makes that makes that doesn't have like any licensed characters again. So it can be no, more that, creative. That doesn't exist. Everything's yeah, licensed. All right. That's the wrap up of the week. All right. October twenty second, nineteen oh seven. The Ringling Brothers, who are circus owners of The Greatest Show on Earth, buy the circus that's owned by Barnum and Bailey and effectively combine them into the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, The Greatest Show on Earth. Not the most creative of titles. Rolls right off the tongue. But it is the one that has lasted the longest. And I don't know that they still exist in 2023. 
I don't remember seeing advertisements for them on TV for maybe seven years, maybe a little bit longer than that. But they used to go, come and tour all of the arenas around. Right. They used to come uh, to the Providence Civic Center all yep. the time. Yeah. Uh, well, there was that incident that happened in Providence, if you remember, mm. where there was like, it wasn't a trapeze, or maybe it was a trapeze. It was something, but some, a lot of people got hurt because the stand broke and all uh. that. And, you know, there's been a lot of animal activists over the years who bring up a lot of really good points about the way animals are treated for these shows and stuff. So this, the circus has definitely waned in popularity for a lot of different reasons over the years. Well, I, I think for sure if the main aspect of the entertainment part is watching people sort of terrify wild, wild animals into doing tricks, yeah, there, uh -huh. I can see why that has sort of fallen out of favor. You know, yeah, or the potential of like watching of death, yeah. you know, with the yes. trapeze artists and stuff. Yeah, that kind of like entertainment is almost out of fashion, so to speak. And it's weird because the circus traditions go back so many years yes. and all that. And even whenever I teach my haunt classes at the haunted house and stuff, I bring up a lot of old traditions that go back to like the carny days and stuff. Right. You ever see a circus? I have. I, I've been to the circus exactly twice. Uh -huh. The first time I went to the circus, I was a little, little kid. I was under four years old. Okay. And I used, I used to watch this TV show. I want to say it was every day, but I could be misremembering that it was once a week called like Circuses of the World. And I would watch it every, every time it was on and I absolutely loved it. Uh -huh. And my mom thought he definitely like digs the circus. So the next time the sure. circus comes to town, we're going. He and right. what used to come to New Bedford with tents was the King's Brothers Circus. So I went to the King's yes. Brothers Circus. Yep. And I cried for the entire time until my mom took <laughs> me home. <laughs> I did not enjoy it at all. And it was really weird. She was always sort of freaked out by that my entire childhood. And then in 1989, I went and I saw the King's Brothers Circus again when they yep. had put the tent up at the poor farm in the south end of New Bedford. And I cried the whole time until my friends <laughs> took me home. Uh, I went to see that King's Brothers Circus. I've never seen the Wrigley Brothers in Barnum. Neither have circus. I. But I did see the King's Brothers Circus. And I'm, I'm going to guess I was around eight years old or so. They, I remember they had a sideshow. And I was way more interested in going to see the sideshow. I was asking because I didn't know. And I was like, what's the sideshow? And they're like, oh, that's the place where they have like the tattooed lady. Like that's a big deal these days. But the <laughs> that's tattooed where the lady, prostitutes work. <laughs> yeah, that's where you're gonna get all of your liquid acid, Bill. Um, no, but that's like where they have like the the bearded lady and the rubber man and all. Right. Just you know, freaks, you know, circus freaks and stuff. And I was like enthralled. I gotta go see this. Right. Um, and that's always kind of been like my jam ever since I was a kid. Just the human oddities and stuff. Yeah, but uh, I remember going to see the. It was a three ring circus, and we were. <laughs> oh wait, yeah. you actually meant that literally? Yeah, it was a three ring circus. There was three acts going on at any given time, and we were sitting in the in the in the center. And the only thing I really remember about it was there was some elephants, and as the elephant was leaving the room, it took a dump on the floor. My mother thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> I tell you what, parents, yeah, it, right? It didn't, yeah, it didn't take much to entertain my mother. 
I'm sure my mom would have cracked up at that as well. Yeah, yeah. Especially my, if it I, fell on somebody. Yeah. Then they would have needed to take her out in an ambulance because she would have needed oxygen. <laughs> All right. So before we get on to our uh, worst movie ever this yes. week, we're going to look at our unusual holidays. On uh, This week, on October the 17th, we will be celebrating Pasta Day. Ah. Uh, I do love me some pasta. I, too, am a pasta addict. I was thinking about this, like, yesterday as I was walking around in the grocery store. Yep. And there are way more pasta shapes now than, than there ever have been, or am I wrong? When I was a kid, there was uh, spaghetti and macaroni and sometimes lasagna noodles. And then after I, a while, there was zitti. And then yeah. after a while, there was rigatoni. But now there's, like, spirals and corkscrews and dodecahedrons and flying yeah. saucers and all kinds of things. Well, I was about to say, see, my mother wasn't exactly the most adventurous cook in the world. Right. So, like, put it this way. I don't remember ever having macaroni and cheese as a kid. Right. The only pasta I ever had was, like, raviolis from Chef Boyardee. Right. Uh, it wasn't until much later. Uh, I'm going to go with ziti, though. If I'm going to pick a pasta shape and texture and whatever. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, like the, the ZDs that are ripped for her pleasure, those. <laughs> I like those quite a bit, too. What I'm getting at, though, is like, I don't remember them ever being available. Even as an adult who was out buying pasta, I'm like, what the hell is cavatappi? I buy that now every week because it's awesome. It's like what corkscrews of macaroni. You know? Oh, I like the corkscrews one. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was rigatoni, no? No, rigatoni. Rig, well, okay, so <laughs> funny you should mention that. So rigatoni is a tight corkscrew that is, looks like a, a threaded screw. Yeah. And cavatappi looks like a snake that's oh, doing okay. a twist. Come on, everybody. Come, um, come on, everybody. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, well, I'm happy to celebrate National Pasta Day like four times a week, every single week of the entire year. <laughs> I will be carb loading with my uh, my big ziti. Yes, love that stuff. Make it all the time. Yeah. I could stomach pounds and pounds of pasta, but one thing I couldn't stomach—the worst movie ever. Now, Jeff, this movie uh, was my idea, but I'm going to make believe it was yours because I don't think I could get this mad at myself. <laughs> This week, we watched a movie called The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed-Up Zombies. Yes. If you're on Jeopardy and the category is things Jeff and Bill talk about in between Twibbly recordings, when you asked me if I wanted to do this movie, my answer was, oh, yeah, I'll watch that movie again. Because <laughs> yeah, I had already seen this before sometime in the past. Yeah. You've watched The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed-Up Zombies before? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, so I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the VCR movie rental era. Because uh-huh. this was something that was out on tape when I was 16, okay. 17. So anything that looked like it had zombies or monsters or whatever, and I rented. Yeah. This had, like, neither. <laughs> yes. Well, I had first heard of this movie, and I brought up this documentary some uh, weeks ago. There was a movie out in the 80s called It Came From Hollywood, which is kind of like a documentary about B-movies. Right. And one of the movies that they made reference to was The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed-Up Zombies. Yes. And it was billed as the first zombie musical, and that it was. and it it definitely is. Yeah, there's more songs in this than there are in Greece. Incredible is the word for the world's first monster musical. 
see in magnificent Eastman color the daring, dancing, enticing, and horrifying, the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. From the innocence of music and laughter comes the twilight of terror. Along the midway, scantily clad dancers luring the young lovers into the sideshows. See the dancing girls of the carnival murdered by the incredible night creatures of the midway. I will know that something evil lies ahead for me. An unspeakable pit of dismal subhuman monsters who drool and gibber, moaning for the thrill of revenge. Incredible are the songs, the gaiety, the zombie stomp of those who will stop living. And then the mix-up, trickery, and the device to ruin. See the hunchback of the midway fight a duel of death with the mixed-up zombie. So there's an old saying that says, whenever you're writing a script, one page of the script is supposed to equal one minute of screen time. I'm thinking that the script for the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies is about the length of a bar napkin and was probably <laughs> written on a bar napkin. I think there were There's probably nothing 12... to this move. Nothing goes on. Nothing happens. There are about twelve pages of script. I'm saying that with air quotes. That then yeah. go into the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies, and they're out of order. And <laughs> the the bar napkins say like, put in a song here called Choo Choo Chaboogie or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> And note to self, write song called Choo Choo Chaboogie. I remember watching this. I was eating pasta. Big surprise there. As I was watching this last week, and I texted you after the first half an hour, and my text said, what the hell is this movie even even about? Because you are asking the wrong person, because I had already finished watching the movie at that point, and I couldn't tell you what it is about. Lucky for me, I have this synopsis sitting in front of me. I really think I should have took notes, okay? So we got these three teenagers, and this is 1964. Yeah. And teenagers in 1964 all kind of act like they were in their 30s. Yes. You know? It's because they were all in their 30s when they made the movie. Yeah, well, they felt like they were in their 30s by the time they finished it, right? So we got these three teenagers. There's Jerry, who's a dick, and... Actually, Jerry is the guy that directed the movie. Yeah. But he went by a different name. It was like directed by Ray, uh, Ray Steckler and right. starring. Ray Steckler starring Cash Flag. Yeah. Cash, sorry, Cash Flag. It's the same dude. Right? Yeah. So you got Jerry, who's a dick, and his girlfriend, Angela. And mm-hmm. then this like third wheel, Harold, right? Harold, who's who you cannot understand a word that he says. Because he has an accent from an unknown planet. I don't yeah. know what the hell country he was supposed to be from, but every time he talked, I thought I have to put the subtitles on to make sense <laughs> of what it is he's saying. So they go to like a seaside car- uh, carnival, right? And they should have learned, like my mother taught me at the King's Brother Circus, stay away from the carnies. Right. <laughs> so they go to see this dance number. One of many. This- one of many, yeah, exactly. But the first one, and Marge, right? And uh, that's her name, Marge. And then Marge. they get backstage. 
It's like Marge meanwhile in a completely different movie. Yeah. Marge goes backstage and she starts getting yelled at by her manager because she's drunk and she's drinking a lot on and off and you gotta stay away from that bottle and she's like you don't know me you're a cigarette she actually answers that as she's pouring a drink and just glaring at him she's like I'll be better tomorrow like okay (laughs) sure thing Marge so this black cat just kinda like comes you know puss 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 comes walking through the set and then she sees it as like a a, an omen you know because black cats and stuff so of course she has another drink Uh, and then she goes see this fortune teller Yep, Estrella. she goes to see Estrella. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Estrella uh, is the um, is the villain of the movie, except she has no real purpose other than apparently to make people kill other people. So yeah. she's a palm reader and like a tarot card reader. She reads Marge's tarot and says that somebody close to her is going to die, and that freaks her out, and she goes running away. Yeah. Meanwhile, the the three uh, teenagers uh, in their mid thirties go to see a. Est- Estrella as well to get their fortunes read and she tells the girl that somebody near her is going to die in the water or near the water and they all leave and then they sort of bring Jerry back they entice Jerry not so much through hypnosis but through a promise of potential sex with Estrella's sister the stripper Carmelita in between what you're saying now and the fortune teller booth there was a number of musical numbers (laughs) there are like eight of them yeah. Yeah. Not all of them seem to be a part of this movie or any movie for that matter. <laughs> I, I'm not going to argue with you. I think you're yeah. absolutely right. Um, so they go backstage. So Jerry, who I think I mentioned is a dick, gets like Google eyes for this stripper. Jerry gets a note from Estella's henchman. Yeah. Right. Who's like a guy in a mask to go backstage to meet Carmelita. So he goes back. He's already had a fight yep. with his girlfriend because she doesn't want him to go see the stripper, but he goes anyway. Uh-huh. And when he gets back there, Estella's there and she hypnotizes him so that he will go and kill Marge for no apparent reason. But that's what he yeah. does. He goes and he stabs Marge to death on stage. Well, I think it's because she predicted Marge's death and she wants to, like, you know, prove her worth as a fortune teller. Well, see? Was, Told you. Yeah, but yeah. Who, you, who do you... It's like, that, 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 again, this is me wondering why the hell this movie was written the way that it was written, right? Yeah. So the one person she says that there's going to be a death near you is Marge. And then she hypnotizes somebody to go kill Marge. Like, all right. So it's just personal? Like, she wants to prove to herself that she's good at this, I guess? She hates cats. So anyway, he goes and he, he kills Marge and he kills Marge's dance partner, Bill Ward. Which is his yeah, actual name and in, in thing. On stage in front of all these people. The guy that was yelling at her for being an alcoholic, right? No, it was her dance partner. The, oh, okay. the, the handsome dude with no shirt on that was her dance partner. So oh, he kills that's both of them. right, yeah. Everybody's interchangeable in this movie. It could have been Jerry for all I know, yeah. Absolutely. He kills both of them and then he has amnesia and doesn't know what happened. He wakes up the next day and he's like, oh man, I've got a wicked headache. I don't know what's going on. Angie's mad at me. What am I going to do? So he goes back to figure out what's going on with Angie. They go back to the one of the num- numerous musical numbers. I think that's where Shook Out of Shape takes place. The only good song in this whole stupid movie. Oh, is that the one with like the voodoo people? No. That one's the one that came after the voodoo people. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, no, but Shook Out of Shape wasn't bad either. Yeah. All right. right. Okay. So it's, it's like standard, like early 60s, dumb, dumb pop. I was. Yeah. Com- com- I like that. I thought it was cool. Anyway, they go back. He gets convinced to go and kill another singer. The one that sang Shook Out of Shape because she realized that Estrella might be a rotten person. He kills her. He kills her manager at their house. 
And then he comes back to the circus. Meanwhile, his friends all converge there and there's a huge fight and Estrella gets killed. He opens up the thing and they find out that they've been capturing people and shooting acid in their faces and turning them into like... Slaves. Mixed up zombies, Jeff. Mixed up zombies, They were incredibly yes. strange creatures and they stopped living and became, <laughs> and became mixed, mixed up zombies. zombies. So they, they break out and they start to, they kill all of the principal villains. Then the police gun all of them down and Jerry, who's been uh, also deflicted with acid, to borrow a uh, term from Frank Zappa, runs off and is ultimately killed by the police and falls into the water where he's yeah. dead and he fulfills the prophecy that Estella had for Angie that someone she knew would die by the water. So he escapes to the beach, right? So you're on like yes. the, the the waterfront and all that with a bunch of rocks, and he's running, and the cops are shooting at Adam, and this whole like running, escaping of Jerry, you're thinking to yourself, all right, he's either gonna get away or he's gonna die, and I really wish they'd either shit or get off the pot because he was running on that beach away from the cops for a while. You know what the weirdest part was? Was he kept passing a guy with two heads on a moped who was being chased <laughs> by the other police. It went on, that went on for a really long time. Oh, there's another little segment in there where he goes and he tries to kill Angie. He starts to strangle Angie in her backyard and then her brother yeah, beats right, him yeah. up and he runs off. Again, it doesn't matter because there's no continuity or reason for it to be in the film. And then he dies at the end and I turned off the movie and was very happy to go back and finish my pasta. This movie is 82 minutes long and literally I'm going to say 12 of those minutes are the movie and the rest is all padded scenes and musical numbers that don't belong. Oh, it I, literally is a very, very short movie. I, I'm right there with you. Uh, but but it, then boy, again, it feel longer. Exactly. I, I was telling somebody at work, I was like, dude, I watched this movie called The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies. Man, if, you, if you're like thinking your life is going by too fast, I cannot recommend this movie enough. This will bring <laughs> everything to a screeching halt, like yeah. metal against metal, just, oh, the and just slow your life down. The next time I'm in the cardiac wing of the hospital, Bill, you got to yeah. bring this one in for me. Because if you I was know. Like, Quick, doctor, we got to get a copy <laughs> of the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Get it up on that TV stat, or we're going to lose him. And the doctor says, Wait, you mean the first zombie musical? Yes. <laughs> Good heavens, he must be shook out of shape. Is that the one that's directed by Cash Flag? Sort of. <laughs> Funny you mention it. So at some point, we'll have to do the companion movie to this, which is called Horrors at Party Beach, which is also technically a musical because it has a bunch of songs in at the beginning called like Zombie Stomp and some other stuff, which came out one month after this did. Yes, and it's exactly. also terrible. Yeah, uh, Horror at Party Beach was supposed to be the, the first monster musical, but I guess uh, Steckler said, you know, if we rush the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies out to the theaters as fast as we can... We could be the first monster. We may musical. not be good, but we'll be first. Exactly, because nobody remembers Horror at Party Beach. <laughs> A couple of other points of interest about this movie: that actually, this long-winded title wasn't supposed to be the title. Right. The original title of it was going to be called "The Incredibly Strange Creatures." Or why I stopped living and became a mixed-up zombie, but Columbia Pictures put up the middle finger and said, uh, "No, no, no," because that was too close to the title of Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Right, which is so another I, very long uh, title uh, on the movie. Uh, it is a long title, and it's a, a little change that just makes things less good. This is one of those what we call the Hayes Code horror movies. 
Yes. Everything's got a good point to it. The one saving grace in this movie I thought was the kill scenes. Because yep. it was Haze Code and they couldn't show actual violence. They did right. it with shadows and silhouette, mm -hmm. which I thought was a really cool way around the rules. Yep. I thought that was cool. I actually, I appreciated the choreography in the musical numbers, to be honest with you, because even though I didn't know why they were there or what purpose yeah. they served, there were things on screen that were interesting to look at. There's a bit where um, the other girl, not Marge, that gets killed, the one that gets killed later, yeah. it, the, it does a... Um, sorry, when Carmelita does her strip tease before yeah. she invites Jerry back, that's a really well done, sort of very classical burlesque piece of striptease. And I was like, oh, they did it like Gilda from the 1940s. This is really good. And then they start, characters started to talk again. And I was like, oh, this movie sucks. I'm in like two halves because there's a couple of scenes I wouldn't m mind going back and watching. Some of the musical numbers like Choo Choo Chaboogie or yeah. whatever. I wouldn't mind going back and just watching that again. But oh, God, to sit through it. <laughs> even to sift, even to sift through it is a, 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 a yeah. an undertaking. Ugh. It's hard to talk about and put anything into coherent shape because the musical numbers they're so long and there are so many of them stacked together. It makes it hard to remember the linear nature of the plot when you're finally discussing it. Hey, you know what I remember? No. Oh, the trivia question, which you thought I forgot about, but I, I did not. I, I did actually, hope you forget about it, but I. No, no. Actually, I think you might have the answer. You seem like you did. Let's see. I got a um, funny story about all, this one, but yes. All of the state flags are rectangular in shape except for one. What state is the rebel and doesn't want to have a rectangular flag? And I'll tell you this, and then I'm going to tell you why I know it, because this isn't the sort of thing I would carry around as generalized knowledge, but it's a okay. it's a matter of me having good timing. Uh, the state with the weird flag that's not shaped like a rectangle is Ohio. Round uh -huh. in the ends and high in the middle. Yes. And I know no, that because I that's was... That's the correct answer. Well, yes. Why do you know that? So I was I work in a position where I dispatch trainers all over the country. And I happen to be looking at the map of Ohio online to look at where places were that I was sending someone. Mm -hmm. And when you Google, like, Cleveland, Ohio, the first thing you're presented with in Google is, like, the Wikipedia page for the state, which shows the flag. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I thought every flag was a rectangle. Well, I didn't think anything of it after that. That was two weeks ago. And then I went and I looked at the map. So when you asked, I was like, oh, <laughs> it happened to be Good Ohio. Time. Good timing. Yeah. Good timing. Yeah. I was looking around for trivia questions today and I found that one and I have a lot of friends in Ohio. So I was like, oh, I'll uh, pull that one up and see what happens there. And, and you knew the answer. So, all right. One in a row. One Excellent. in a row streak well that's gonna wrap up the show for this week we'll see you back here in seven days say good night jeff good night jeff hey guys bye everybody a special thanks to james costa for our theme music find us or message us on facebook or instagram at twibbly or twwwbly subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends maybe they need to learn how to spell potato <laughs>